0: Not long after his daughter died, Freud wrote a letter to a friend. He wrote, although we know that after such a loss, the acute state of mourning will subside, we also know we shall remain inconsolable and will never find a substitute. No matter what may fill the gap, even if it be filled completely, it nevertheless remains something else. And actually, this is how it should be. It is the only way of perpetuating that love, which we do not want to relinquish. Today's conversation with Odette Naaman touches on so much of this. That feelings about the past, feelings like grief, do not only make sense, but that it can also be right to feel them. That medicating them out of existence would get in the way of appreciating what happened, really appreciating what we lost. That these feelings change And diminish over time, even though the reasons for them persist, even though the past event does not change, cannot change. You know, the older you get, the more past there is in your life. And I certainly have grappled with more of these backward-looking emotions in my life. And Odette's way of thinking about them has really helped and reassured me. And maybe you'll feel the same. Odette Naaman teaches philosophy at the Hebrew University and writes about ethics, moral psychology, political philosophy, and literature. He also writes long-form essays and fiction. I recorded this conversation back in 2018. When we see someone feel a painful or difficult emotion like grief or anger or regret, A common and very natural reaction is to help them feel differently, to help them get over it and move on. Is there any reason to suspect that trying to relieve someone's emotional suffering can be misguided?
1: Well, as you said, it is natural and often right to help people feel better. And yet, sometimes these negative emotions, as we might call them, have an important role in our lives, not only in enabling us to feel better later on, but in enabling us to appreciate valuable things, things that are important to us, that were meaningful to us. And so by feeling grief at the loss of a loved person, we're not only undergoing a natural psychological response to to loss, but we're also engaging um, and trying to understand and take in, as, as much as we possibly can, the meaning and significance of, of the loss of this person. Uh, and we face serious questions about how we can continue to appreciate this person, what he or she was for us, and at the same time live on a meaningful life. So, so these negative emotions and a similar thing might be said about regret or about resentment and anger have an important role in our ethical lives. And uh, that goes well beyond the fact that they involve anguish and, uh, and suffering.
0: So these emotions like regret and grief are not just painful, they also reflect the importance of the thing or person we lost. I'd like to dwell on this a bit. Um, you make a helpful distinction between a loss and a cost. Can you explain the difference?
1: The difference between loss and cost is is often, I think, overlooked, but it's very important it's present in many aspects of our lives. When something has merely a cost, we can substitute it for something else. Money is our way of making these substitutions. But often things that have a monetary cost are more significant than just their comparative monetary value. I might be willing to give up this beautiful day in order to go to work and make money, and that might be justified and warranted. But the loss of the day is not fully cancelled by the money I receive in exchange. There were maybe beautiful moments, valuable uh, encounters that I I gave up on. And in that respect, that day was lost. Uh, That doesn't mean that it's tragic, but it just means that our lives are full with these choices between valuable things, the loss of which cannot be fully compensated for or cancelled by something else that is valuable. When it comes to... Great losses, like losses of, of people we love, losses of projects we care about, of places that we hold dear. Then we feel with all its force the fact that nothing could can make up for the person or object that we have no longer. And so the question we face with regards to loss is how do we live our lives, continue to live our lives while appreciating the losses that we endured and witnessed, how do we do that in a way that allows us to live on rather than be captive to the past? Uh, And whether the only alternative is to disregard, forget, let go completely of what was once important to us and kind of blindly look forward, uh, leaving the past behind.
0: Hmm. Are you then saying that if someone doesn't feel regret? or grieve about a great loss, then they are in a way failing to appreciate the value of what or who they lost.
1: I think in these matters, we have to be very careful. We don't want to moralize. We don't want to tell people, oh, you're not sad enough. You have to feel more pain. I, I don't mean to give give grades or, or, and I don't pretend to know better how we should deal with loss. What I'm concerned with is to make room for the thought and for the possibility that our pain is not, well, pointless. And it's not only instrumental. Maybe it can be part of how we appropriately, fittingly appreciate uh, what happened to us, uh, what happened around us. And so I think that we ask ourselves, as a matter of fact, have I grieved enough? Uh, Should I feel guilty? How come I don't feel any regret? When we ask ourselves these questions, we appeal exactly to these ideas, that there are some appropriate ways to respond to the significance of what just happened. And we, and we ask these questions about ourselves and about our friends and about people we hear about. It's part of how we conduct ourselves and how we evaluate our own emotional life. And so we shouldn't reduce these questions to instrumental questions uh, about how to get ourselves to feel better.
0: I think this stands in such an interesting tension with how these emotions are very often seen and treated. You know, that when someone grieves for a bit too long and doesn't function productively for a while, they are diagnosed as depressed and pathological and in need of being fixed. And you're saying, no, we should give more room to these emotions.
1: Yeah, grief is an especially interesting case because it's been discussed publicly in recent years, the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health issued by the American Psychological Association, used to have what was called a bereavement exclusion. That part said that in the first months after loss, clinicians should not diagnose major depressive disorder because people in those periods of time have experienced natural grief. However, in the last edition of the DSM, it came out in 2013, that bereavement exclusion was taken out. And instead, it was said that major depressive disorder can indeed be diagnosed within the first months of bereavement. There was a big uproar because people were worried that grief is being medicalized. And defenders of the DSM pointed out rightly that the DSM only said that it's possible to diagnose depression. It also cautioned not to confuse natural grief with depression. And it doesn't encourage clinicians to, to medicalize grief. What's interesting about that discussion, that one thing that came out was that in the, in the last version where the bereavement exclusion was removed, the writers of the DSM noted that it's important that we don't medicalize grief because grief and sadness, they say, is a natural part of human life. And it's an interesting claim because disease is a natural part of human life and we do medicalize that, right? You, you ask yourself... What were they gesturing at? What were they saying when they said that it's important not to medicalize grief? Why, why not if we had a way to make grief go away completely, to make sure that for anyone who lost someone, we just give them a pill and they immediately feel better? What medical reason would there be not to do that? I think the answer is that there wouldn't be a medical reason, but there will be an ethical one. We have a certain conception of what is a worthy, maybe even a healthy life. Maybe health should be understood also as an ethical notion, not simply um, a medical one uh, in a narrow sense. And we have an idea that it's part of the appropriate way to respond to a loss of an important person in your life, that you feel grief and that you go through a certain process. So a question that we often tend to think of as a medical question and outsource it. To clinicians, it's actually a question that, well, clinicians can give us a lot of important, valuable information about, right? They can tell us what people actually do, what happens to their body, how their mind usually responds. But when it comes to asking ourselves, yeah, but what should we aspire to? What would be uh, an improvement in terms of what we want and what would be an obstacle. Uh, that's an ethical question that we have to ask ourselves as individuals and as a community, just as other bioethical questions are questions that are recognized as ethical ones, right? Hmm.
0: Your way of looking at these emotions creates some tricky options, it seems. Either we feel them fully and thereby appropriately value something in our past, but then We are also suffering and are perhaps being kept captive by that past. Or we move on with our lives, but then it seems we fail to aptly appreciate what has happened. It's like you can't get it right, no matter what you do.
1: That's right. So how do we think about this dilemma? If we recognize that these emotions are um, essential to um, an appropriate response to to loss, then uh, are we kind of bound to continue to be under the grip of those emotions, uh, given that the past is not going to change, right? So the person you lost, the horrible thing you did that you now regret, the slight that you resent from your friend, these things happened, And no matter what will happen from now on, uh, the fact that they happened will remain uh, standing. Philosophers have actually been really perplexed by these questions, uh, In recent years, thinking about about the emotions we mentioned, about blameworthiness, you know, if someone is blameworthy, well, are they blameworthy forever? And part of what I think uh, has led us to this uh, dichotomy is that we have been thinking about the emotions in question as emotional states that, in a sense, exhaust the value to which they respond. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Regret is not the only thing we expect of a person who made a serious mistake. We expect many other things, maybe to learn from that about how to act in the future, maybe to um, apologize to those who suffered from this mistake. There's a wide range of, of actions and attitudes and interactions with other people that are all part of what we think would be an appropriate response to the fact of the past occurrence. And so focusing on regret, we kind of lose sight that it's only part of a larger phenomenon, part of a larger process that we think of as appropriate to the past wrong. So my proposal is that we have to broaden our scope and see these emotions, grief, regret, resentment, to see them as part of processes that are themselves feeding responses um, to to these past occurrences. And so, for instance, um, in response to a loss of a loved person, grief in its most intense form, in its most paralyzing form, is a natural and perhaps, as we tend to think, appropriate first stage. But we also think of a certain process of repair of which gr- grief is part. We understand both its occurrence and its duration and its eventual diminution uh, in the context of this process of repair.
0: Mm. And unless we see grief and regret and resentment as part of a process, we wouldn't be able to say that they are on the one hand fitting responses to something that has happened. And on the other hand, that it makes sense to change how you feel at some point because the past persists, a loss remains no matter how much time passes.
1: Precisely. Yeah. Once you see that it's not that emotion alone that is appropriate, but the process, then you can see how both the intensification of the emotion and its diminution later on are all part of one single response that is appropriate as a response to the loss.
0: Tetna Mann teaches philosophy at the Hebrew University and is also a fiction writer. You can visit his website to see what he's currently working on. Thank you for listening and take care.